Good morning, everybody. So good to see many of you coming out again this morning. Uh, thank you for being here. And it's been a rough week, hasn't it? Um, there's a lot going on in the world. Uh, it feels like it's <clears throat> on fire in so many ways. And thank you for lifting up our nation right now and everything we're going through right now, Ron. <clears throat> so whenever I was a kid, about seven years old, there was one guy in my class that threw the best slumber parties. His name was Sean, and his family had this big house with this big piece of property, and it was always going to be a good time when you got to go to a slumber party at Sean Peterson's house. So I got an invite to go, just me. There wasn't going to be a party this time. It was just going to be me getting to go to Sean Peterson's house to a slumber party. And they had land, and they had animals, and we spent one evening, I'll never forget, they had all these rabbits. And so we got to get the rabbits out of their cages, and we were able to, to play with them, and you know, we were petting them, and we were enjoying these rabbits, just, just letting them run around. What I didn't know was that the next day was going to be rabbit slaughter day. <laughs> so I'm like seven years old, and uh, Sean says, oh, by the way, we need to get up early and help out mom and dad with some work they'll be doing. I'm like, okay, no big deal. And then I'll never forget his dad reaching into that cage, grabbing that rabbit by the back legs, the one we were just playing with the previous night, and just with one quick karate chop behind the back of the ears, the thing just went lifeless. Then he handed it to his wife, and she actually did the dirty work, <clears throat> skinning it, gutting it, cleaning it, getting the meat off the bones. And I remember watching that thing, and I also remember that pile of rabbits, and it left a mark on me. Now, uh, I have cleaned animals myself since then. I actually like rabbit, believe it or not, even through all that. But there was something that just didn't quite seem right about all of this. But I did learn what it took to get an animal from a state where it was living to the plate. This was the process that was necessary in order for that to happen. Many people have read through the pages of the Old Testament and they have abhorred what it was they saw. Because what you see throughout the Old Testament is bloodshed. I read one article that on a particular day uh, when people were coming in for the atonement of their sins, up to 1.2 million animals would have been slaughtered there at the temple, at the tabernacle. So why all of this bloodshed? Ultimately, this led to the final sacrifice that Christ would make, shedding his blood for our sins. And the subject I want to talk about is why was bloodshed necessary? Why was all the blood Necessary. The passage I want to look at today again comes from Hebrews chapter 9. We'll start with uh, verses 16 through 22 of Hebrews chapter 9. Then we're going to skip down and read uh, uh, verses 26 through 28, Hebrews chapter 9. Again, we'll start with verses 16 through 22. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. For where there is a will, the death of the one who made it must be proven. 
For a will takes effect only at death, since it carries no force while the one who made it is alive. So even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. For when Moses had spoken every command to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded you to keep. And both the tabernacle and all the utensils of worship he likewise sprinkled with blood. Indeed, according to the law, almost everything was purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Skipping down to verse 26, for then he would have had, for then, speaking of Christ, he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You may be seated. We're continuing this series through the book of Hebrews, and again, I keep repeating this week after week because I want you to remember it. Um, again, we are seeing a group of people who need to not stop believing. They're going to undergo a lot of persecution, and the, and the writer is preparing them for what's to come. He wants them to have a, an almost delusional confidence in the faith they have, not to go back to the old Jewish way, the old covenant way of doing things, but to fully embrace this new covenant that they can enjoy. Last week, we saw what it took, the separation that occurred because of man's sin. And, and the Lord was very particular on how man would go about approaching him. So we looked at that, and then this week we're going to see three things. How, why was all this bloodshed necessary? I'm going to offer three reasons and explain these. First of all, a will requires a death. Then we'll see that forgiveness demands bloodshed. We saw that very explicitly in the text. And finally, we'll see that judgment requires a substitute. Then I'll offer a few takeaways uh, at the very end. So let's jump in now, <clears throat> talk about this first point, um, the need for a death in order for a will to be fulfilled, to be substantiated. And we see this back in verses 16 and 17. We just read it, for there is a will. For where there is a will, the death of the one who made it must be proven. For a will takes effect only at death since it carries no force while the one who made it <clears throat> is alive. Now, I'm assuming that most of you know how a will works. The person who uh, makes the will is the one in charge of determining who gets what. The will is not up for debate once the person passes away. Now, you, you wouldn't always think that, but it is not up for debate. The terms are set, and the beneficiaries are designated. Until such a time of death, the will is just a promise. It's like a promissory note until the person dies. That's verse 17. And then we see it, it, it's odd for us actually to speak of God dying. I mean, we're talking about a will. We're talking about a death. Well, how is it that God died? Well, this is why the Lord Jesus put on mortality, put on humanity. That was how he died, by becoming fully 100% human. 100% God, 100% man. So he put on mortality in order to die, and, and then what do you get? 
Well, this looks back at verse 15. We get this eternal inheritance. That is what has been willed to the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may be written into somebody's will right now. Maybe it's a parent or an aunt, an uncle, I don't know. But see, regardless of whether or not you've been written into an earthly will, if you've trusted Christ, you are written in to this, in, this eternal inheritance that you're going to receive. Now, the interesting part of this is it's a future inheritance. And that can be difficult for us to get our minds around, but we kind of see an illustration of this with uh, Prince William and Prince Harry. So when Princess Diana died in, in 1997, there was a will and testament given to her two sons, William and Harry. At the time, it was $20 million, but it actually grew to $31.4 million by the time they turned 30, first William, then Harry. Uh, by the time they got to that point, it grew to $31.4 million. But they weren't going to get it until they turned 30 years old. They had to wait. That's similar to us. We have to wait in order to get our inheritance. But the good news is our inheritance is growing. Our, the longer we live, the longer we serve God, the more rewards we may be accruing. And in doing so, our inheritance also grows. And it's in a safe place. It couldn't be in a more safe place than there in heaven with the security of God looking after it. So we have this inheritance that we're going to receive. It's never going to decay. It's never going to fade. It's growing more valuable the older we get. And Jesus did all the work for it. So Christ's death provided this eternal inheritance where it's kept safe. And then secondly, we see that bloodshed was needed for the forgiveness of sin. Bloodshed was needed for the forgiveness of sin. Uh, we actually uh, see this in verse 18. We, I want to go back to 18 for a moment. So even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. And, and, and what does this mean? Covenants, these agreements between God and man, were literally cut. And what I mean to say is, for a covenant to be put into a place, two men would come together, they would, they would make an agreement, then they would cut an animal in half. They would separate the halves. They would walk between the halves. And there was a statement made that by walking between these two halves, they were saying, if I don't keep up my end of the agreement, may I become like this animal that we just walked between. So blood was shed to inaugurate or to ratify or to sign the bottom line, if you'd like, of a covenant. That's how it was made. Now, to the Hebrew, uh, the life of someone was in the blood. So when an animal or a person shed its blood, it gave up its life. So in order for a covenant to be made, blood was shed. That was signifying the death of the animal that was used to ratify that covenant. And we see there that blood was shed even with the first covenant. And we go on, and starting in verse uh, 19... For when Moses had spoken every command to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded you to keep. Now, how would you like a worship service like this? 
If I had a big vat of blood up here that I dipped some wool and branches in and just sort of started spraying it all over your faces. I mean, this is like something out of a horror movie. But this is exactly what happened. There had to be death in order for worship to happen. He goes on in verse 21. This blood was a symbol, see? Starting in verse 21, in both the tabernacle and all the utensils of worship, he likewise sprinkled with blood. Indeed, according to the law, almost everything was purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Death was necessary. The loss of blood symbolized death. That's so important for us to understand. As a matter of fact, a poor person who couldn't afford an animal could make a sacrifice of flour to have their sins atoned for. See, it, it, it was all symbolic. The blood of Jesus himself had no magic properties, and this is what I mean. The physical blood of Christ did not have in itself some kind of property that automatically made someone who touched it or came in contact with it forgiven. Now, this had been a position that had been taken for a long time. As a matter of fact, you may have heard of the, the legends of King Arthur and the search for the Holy Grail. The Grail was uh, depicted as this chalice that Christ used at the Last Supper. It was also placed at the foot of the cross, supposedly, and caught the blood of Christ. They thought if you drank from it, uh, you could get eternal life. But see, it wasn't the blood of Jesus. It was the death of Jesus. The blood symbolizes the death. Now, we sing hymns to this, right? Oh, precious is the flow that washed me white as snow. Again, it's important that we remember, even when we sing these songs, the blood symbolizes the death. It was the sacrifice of Christ that saves us. We need to know what it took for us to be saved. The grace and mercy that have been offered to us freely as gifts for us to receive were not free. You see, God had to pay for salvation with his own life. It's offered freely to us. We can receive it as a gift. But don't forget and do not mis be mistaken that it was not free. Jesus Christ had to give up his life. He was tortured to death for that salvation to be purchased. So, the shedding of blood was needed for forgiveness. Death was needed for forgiveness. And we see this final reason for the shedding of, this final reason for the shedding of Christ's blood. Uh, number three, judgment requires a substitute. Judgment requires a substitute. We see in verses 27 and 28... And, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So it's appointed for man to die once. That was God's decision. First comes death, and then judgment. We couldn't pay for our own sins. And God is a righteous judge someone had to pay the penalty and someone had to be our substitute this is what christ did for us now let me illustrate this um 
This whole idea of substitution could be a little bit foreign. I think if we put it in the context of a courtroom, I've used this illustration before, it becomes a little more clear. Let's say that you and I, we decide to steal a car one weekend. We go, we steal the car, we, we both appear before the judge. And you feel really bad for me. And you don't want to see the pastor go to prison. Thank you for that. Um, so you tell the judge, look, I'm just, I'm just going to take Chad's punishment. Well, if it's a good judge, he's going to laugh at you. He said, well, you can't do that. Well, why not? Because he's just as guilty as you are. Somebody had to be perfect to take the punishment. And there was only one who was perfect. There was only one perfect human being that walked this earth, Jesus Christ. He's it. Now, maybe you're like me and you've thought, why, why did Jesus have to die? Couldn't, couldn't God have just snapped his fingers and just, just made it all go away? Well, would he be a perfect judge if he would have done that? Does a good judge let crime go unpunished? No. And God had set the standard, and it had to be satisfied. That's how Jesus took our place. He satisfied the penalty. It took someone who wasn't guilty to take the punishment. This is what John 3.16 speaks of. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I, by the way, I hope you've trusted Christ as your Savior. If you've got any doubts at all about that, I'll be right down the front at the end of the service. Come talk to me. Let's make sure. You can have a confidence that you're saved. Now, if you've done that, then verse 28 again is for you. Uh, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many... Listen to this. Will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are what? Eagerly waiting for him. I don't know about you, but I am eagerly waiting for him. 2020 has <laughs> not been that great, just in case you're not paying attention. As a matter of fact, the, my wife's cousin put this on Facebook. Me looking outside to see what chapter of Revelation we're doing today. <laughs> I, don't, now I, I, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. But they were anticipating Christ's return almost the day after he ascended. Nothing prophetically needs to happen for Christ to return. We don't know when he's coming back. It could be 10,000 years from now. It could be before the end of the service. Okay, well, not yet. Uh, I'm ready. You know, I'm eagerly awaiting this. I remember when Christmas would come, I'd sit in the window waiting for my relatives to come over because I knew they were bringing presents. We all saw that video of George Floyd with his head pinned down this past week. It was hard to watch. We know there's, there's something wrong with the world. We know that racism is a sin. We know these things. We are waiting for them to be over. We're waiting for the global pandemic to end. But you know what? There'll probably be another global pandemic. There's going to be more murders that happen. It's going to happen. Let's set our hearts on what's ultimately to come. This eternal inheritance that we're talking about. I want to talk a few takeaways from this passage this morning. 
First of all, appreciate your blood-bought forgiveness. Please don't ever take for granted what it took for you and I to be saved. It's something that we need to appreciate. Thank God for every single day when we get up in the morning. What he was willing to go through. That he was willing to die and shed his blood for our sins. And then secondly, expect the world to misunderstand. And this is what I mean. The world does not understand a bloody, gory cross. The world does not understand the bloodshed. As a matter of fact, I love a quote. John Stott speaks of this, and he says, The gospel contains some features so alien to modern thought that it will always appear folly to intellectuals. However hard we strive, and rightly, to show that it is true and reasonable, the cross will always constitute an assault on human self-righteousness and a challenge to human self-indulgence. It's scandal, stumbling block simply cannot be removed. Indeed, the church speaks most authentically to the world, not when it makes shameful little prudential compromise. In other words, we're not helping things out by apologizing to people for what the Bible says. That's not what we do. But when it refuses to do so, not when it has become indistinguishable from the world, but when its distinctive light shines most brightly, we aren't here to apologize for God's plan of doing things. We embrace it fully. What an act of love it was. Would we ever know how much the Lord loved us had Christ not come to give his life for us? And then finally, even though this cross, a bloody cross, doesn't make sense to the world, tell them anyway. Tell them anyway. It's our job not to justify. It's our job to tell people about the one who does justify. Uh, it's our job to tell people the gospel and let it be known. So putting all this together, wait patiently while enjoying your blood-bought salvation. Wait with this eager anticipation for the next coming of Christ. I want to close with this, this image, um, going back to my childhood again. Whenever I was in eighth grade, we had to do this massive project. It was called the, uh, the West Virginia Scrapbook. And I remember I was 13 years old. There had to be like two or three pages written for about every single county in West Virginia. It was probably 125 to 150 page scrapbook when it was all said and done. They told us about it at the very beginning of the year. And my parents would look over my assignments and things I had to get done. And the day before it was due, my, my mom looked at me and said, um, so have you got that scrapbook done? And I felt the heat come across the back of my neck, and I, I think I broke out into a mild sweat. And I just, I just put it out there. I haven't even started it yet. I don't remember what happened next. <laughs> but this is what I remember. My mom stayed up all night with me to get that scrapbook done. Now, she didn't have to do that. And during the course of the night, there were moments where she was like, why in the world did you wait? Okay, then she'd, then she'd get a hold of herself. Reality would come back again, she'd, she'd stop. But I tell you what, you want to talk about grace and mercy. If I ever doubted that my mom loved me, she proved it that night. She stayed up all night to help me get that scrapbook done. Did she show me grace and mercy? Yes. 
Did I earn it? Absolutely not. Was it free? No, it wasn't. It cost her a night's sleep and probably ruined the next two days. But see, that's the love and mercy that we're shown by God. A grace and a mercy that is free to us but cost him his life. That's something we can embrace. We know he loves us because he died for us. Please pray with me. Lord, even though it feels like right now, God, our world is on fire. Lord, these riots and protests and viruses, God, and everything else that's going on. God, even in all these things, we are eagerly anticipating your second coming. So we can be fully saved, resurrected, and enjoy the inheritance that's waiting on us. I pray that's where our hearts would be. Lord, will we will have trouble in this life. But you came to give life abundant. I pray that that would strengthen us this week. I pray that it would give us boldness. And we ask in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.